radios, my Christian brothers and sisters, because we've got a lot to cover today. Be encouraged. Oh, my. Be challenged. Oh, my. Be inspired. They need gassed up. They need reviewed. And get excited. It's a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loves with an everlasting, unconditional love. Your love. Praise the Lord. God's wisdom is brilliant. And receive God's love. That's who and what he is. Release your worries. He's faithful. God is faithful. And receive God's truth. These commands that I give to you today, impress them upon your children and talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is the Get Excited Show. Everybody in the family needs it. Now. With Michael Crawford. the Lord. Praise the Lord. And thank you so much for tuning in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Rondoff Show. Oh, get excited. Now, I know a lot of you out there that are tuned in today and have been for the past three or four podcasts are probably saying, wow, Michael Crawford, you with this is, uh, uh, you know, heaven real and uh, hell real and all this, you're probably thinking, wow, uh, and in the Bible, you're, you're really going full circle. Well, I'm just following the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm just trying to make sure that uh, I don't do Michael's plan, but I do God's plan. And uh, I think it's time that we as Christians, as uh, brothers and sisters, that we need to to make sure that not only are we just uh, hearing or reading the word, but we are definitely, without a shadow of a doubt or any reservations in our mind, we are understanding the word. Amen. God's love letter, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth, God's love letter to us. And I know myself, I have so much to uh, learn, but I love it when I'm in that learning process. Amen. I just absolutely just love the fact it's exciting, and, and I'm just so enthusiastic. That's the whole thing about get excited. Get excited for Christ Jesus. So today, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show. Today is, is heaven real? Is heaven real? And what's your opinion about it now? And then after you listen to the show. So, is heaven real? So, here's what I thought we would do, okay? Let's start off in Ecclesiastes again in chapter 3, verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet, they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning. You know, so... That is just a great verse. I mean, it really is. And I really want to, uh, us to dive into it. And I want our focus this morning, I want it to be, you know, I, I need us to, to just be on the beginning of uh, that second sentence, if we would. Okay? Seriously. Let's focus totally uh, this morning uh, on the beginning of the second sentence there, where it says, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning. See, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, in the hearts of women, in the hearts of people. He has set eternity. God's created us with the, the sense that life does not end at the grave. It doesn't. Now, I know a lot of people have that perception, okay? But it doesn't. He, he hasn't done that. He's given us an instinct, a, a sixth sense, if you will, uh, that there's an afterlife. And down through the ages and certain cultures after culture, we can see that God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings, period. Okay? He has. But everybody has their different culture about 
the perception and understanding. Now, did you know that over 2,000 years ago that the Romans believed in an afterlife and that the Greeks before them also believed and as part of their belief at one time, they would actually kill, kill all the slaves of a nobleman who died. Why? So those slaves would serve him in the afterlife. But over time, after, you know, since killing all the slaves made things a little rough on the heirs that left behind, they found a more civilized way to handle things. They began to let their slaves fight it out. That's right, fight it out, one-on-one, mortal combat, therefore allowing Mars, their god of war, to choose the victim who would then serve the dead nobleman in the afterlife. Of course, these fights had some pretty, you know, incredible entertainment value. I mean, eventually, which you all know, if you heard it before, if not, it was portrayed in the movie, um, led led to a development of gladiators, you see. So uh, it just kind of neat history, isn't it? That's why I always love history. But did you know that over 4,000, hear me now, 4,000 years ago that Egypt was not only a culture that believed in the afterlife, but, okay, I believe it's very fair to say that they were a culture obsessed with the afterlife. I mean, most Egyptians began preparing for the afterlife before they even reached midlife. And one study estimates that in order to build one of the great pyramids, it, it took a combined efforts of over 100,000 workers. Over 100,000 workers. Think about this now. Just to build one of the pyramids, okay, working for 40 years. To build just one of those great pyramids. Now, I don't know about you. For everyone that's turned in, that's tuned in, excuse me, that's tuned in today uh, to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on their own Doff show, for everyone uh, that has done that, first of all, again, thank you. Uh, and focus and, and try to feel exactly um, what I'm saying. If not, you can actually email me. You can email me online. I'll look at the emails if you want to. But think about this, okay? Uh, and again, because I, I really don't. I, I need to make that bundle because I don't really know about you. But, but what makes me ask this question, okay, uh, is why? Why would anybody put much time and effort and focus on a tomb, on the afterlife? Why? Why would they? Why? I mean, think about that. I, every time I get into, uh, you know, big, biblical perspective, true biblical perspective about people's discussions of afterlife, I, I really do. I say, why? Why would anybody put so much time and effort and focus on a tomb, on the afterlife? Well, the answers are very simple. And again, I hope you took the moment or two to focus in your faculties on what your answer would be. But to me, it's very simple because the Egyptians understood full well that they would spend a lot more time in the afterlife than they would spend in the, the current life. Now, granted, some of their concepts of what would happen there, and you know, they're a little skewed. Okay, they really are. But the point is, they understood to the core of their being that the afterlife is a whole lot more important than this one that they're in, as well as we're in. And because of that, they poured much of their lives in the world in preparing for the next wasn't so much preparing for the here and now, but it was the hereafter, amen. And so, like I said, God had placed eternity in their hearts just like he's done in every human being. And throughout history and culture after culture after culture, God set eternity in the hearts of men and women. Okay, now let's jump right into the present day. Okay, we we're talking about the Egyptians, but let's now kind of jump with me right into the present day. How God has set eternity in our hearts as well, as I said. And, and yet, my brothers and sisters, there are some who refuse to believe that. Now, if you can actually yourself kind of comprehend that, I, that always just, you talk about being be, bewildered. I mean, they actually refuse it. To, you know, they refuse to believe it. Now, I don't know if you all have heard of a pastor. He's a senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, just right outside Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. But his name was Bill Hybels. And Bill tells a story one time where he was in a a restaurant doing some studying. And a woman who was there looked over and, and saw him reading the Bible. And she said, 
why do you study that stuff? I mean, why? And being a little ornery and, and seeing an opportunity to stimulate a little conversation, Bill said, because I don't want to go to hell. And as quick as a whip, she responded, you won't go to hell. There's no such thing as heaven and hell. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, she said. Everybody knows when you die, your candle just goes and blows out. And he said, you mean to tell me that I don't have to worry about going to heaven or hell and that I I, I can live however I want to live? And she said, yep. And he said, well, that's interesting. How do you know? And she said, well, I read it somewhere. (laughs) And he said, oh, really? Could you tell me the name of the book? And she said, I don't remember. Well, do you remember the name of the author? She responded, no. Well, do you know if this author wrote any other books at least? She says, no. And then he said, well, then, is it possible? Is it possible that this author, author, excuse me, whoever it is, two years later had a chance of or change of mind uh, and heart and wrote the second book and his second book, totally refuted his first book. And then he clearly laid out why there is a heaven and there is a hell. Is that possible? And she said, yeah, it's possible, but not likely. And then Hybels, playing a little Sherlock Holmes, said, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You're willing to roll the dice of your eternity, okay, predicated on what someone whose name you can't even remember, wrote in a book you can't even recall of it. Do I have that straight? And she looked him right in the eye and said, yes, that's right. (laughs) To which he responded, you know what I think? I think that you have merely created a belief system that guarantees the continuation of your unencumbered lifestyle. I think you made it up because it is very discomforting to think of a heaven and it's very discomforting to think of a hell and it is a very discomforting to think that one day you will face to face you will be face to face with the holy god on a reckoning day i think it made it all that up now my christian brothers and sisters my point for sharing this story is this you can risk your eternity your entire eternal destiny on your thoughts or the thoughts of some other human being if you want to do that for any reason that you want you can do that but as for me and my family and my sincere hope for you i will not risk my eternity i will not risk my eternal destiny on anything less than the unique accurate and inspired word of god that we talked about and have been talking about it for the past three or four days. I'm just not going to do that. You have to realize, okay, I just will not risk my eternal destiny on anything less than the eternal word of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So, my dear brothers and sisters, there is no other book that speaks so authoritatively, so consistently, so comprehensively, so coherently on the subject of the afterlife. A subject that, by the way, touches the life of every single one of you that are listening. Every single one of you. When God's word speaks, there's an unmistakable ring of truth to it. And you find yourself saying, you know what? I may not like it, but you know what? It does make sense. Michael Crawford's podcast is starting to make sense to me. For example, in a moral economy, think about this now, my dear brothers and sisters, in a moral economy, it is unthinkable for a Mother Teresa and an Adolf Hitler to have the same eternal accommodations. And God's word says they probably won't. Why? Because there's a day coming. Turn the volume up and hear this. If you don't hear anything else today on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, on the Roan Dolph Show, if you don't hear anything else, 
You need to hear that there's a day coming, a day of reckoning, a day that justice will be served. You see, my Christian brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches that immediately following the grave, based on our response to the grace, to the grace of God through Christ Jesus, you and I will either have eternal life in heaven or eternal condemnation in hell. There's no middle ground. There's no second chances. You and I will be in one place or the other for all of eternity. And my dear Christian brothers and sisters, someday, someday when you and I stand before God, we will have to, we'll have, we'll have no excuses at that moment. We may have been able to have an excuse and have a rapid response to other questions, but you and I will stand before God and we will have no excuses as to why we didn't prepare for eternity. Because throughout the ages, God has set eternity in the hearts of each and every person. And so the truth is, you and I know better. We do. Each of us knows better. And so there will be no excuses. Now, now I want us to look at what the Bible says about heaven. That's what the main focus is on today. But before we do that, it's important for us to, you know, all be on the same page here with the language that the, the Bible uses to describe heaven. The language that the Bible uses to describe heaven in deeply symbolic and, and, and what I mean by symbolic. I mean, because it is. I mean, you have to admit, and maybe some of you wouldn't say that, but I've said that numerous times, that the language in the, that the, the Bible truly uses to, you know, it's very descriptive and it describes heaven. I mean, it is very deeply symbolic. And I know some people are probably wondering, Michael Crawford, what do you mean by saying it's symbolic? Well, when we say that someone's red hot with anger or that they're green with envy the point that we're trying to make is not that they've turned physically red or green no the point is we use those colors to symbolically express the greatness of their anger or the depth of their envy which is very real but it defies our ability to fully capture it with words in the same way scriptures language for heaven is symbolic that's why even through the bible and even though the bible gives us you know very rich and very vivid descriptions of heaven as i said the bible also says in first corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 first corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 9 excuse me it says no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And that verse is specifically speaking about heaven and the ages to come. Do you realize that? So write that down and make sure you have reference to that for the coming days. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who loved him. And that verse is specifically speaking, as I said, about heaven in the ages to come. Because of this, I'd like to compare Scripture's language for heaven, okay? Kind of to the Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics, okay? Uh, because both are pictures, symbols, signs that point to the deeper truths. But, but there's another reason that I like to compare Scripture's language for heaven, uh, kind of compare it to the Egyptian herald uh, uh, graphics because if you don't know the code of these beautiful pictures or symbols or signs, you may enjoy their beauty, but you will never, never grasp their deeper meanings, which is why today I want us to spend the rest of our time breaking the code of some of our heavenly hieroglyphics. And so, Let's start by looking at the eternal city. The eternal city that God designed for those who believe. So if you would, turn with me to Revelations 21. That's Revelations 21 beginning at verse 10. And let's look at the new Jerusalem. In Revelations chapter 21 verse 10, an angel has come to the apostle uh, John. And with this angel comes, when he writes, when he comes, he as the angel, he writes, he's, he's carried me away. That's what John wrote, if you remember. 
Okay, I mean he uh, he carried away the John away with the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed him the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It was shown with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, let's jump down to verse 15. The angel who talked with me, this is John speaking, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found to be 12,000 stadia, about 14. And it was about 144 cubics, about 200 feet thick by man's measurement, that is, in which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Okay? I mean, think about that now. The foundation, okay, of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. Oh, my gosh. It's uh, Just to visualize that. But, we need to probably stop right there. Let's stop right there. Now, how does all that strike you for this time? When I just said that, how does it, when I said the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, how does that strike you? I mean, what's truly your first response to these biblical word pictures of heaven? Okay? Did you realize that uh, Joni Tata, Joni Tata wrote a book called Heaven, Your Real Home. And she's very candid about how these descriptions of the New Jerusalem first struck her. She says a few years after her diving accident that she paralyzed her neck. She paralyzed her, she got paralyzed from her neck down. Sad deal. But the point, I want to stick to the, the point here, that after that uh, Joni was paralyzed by the diving accident, a very close friend of hers by the name of Steve Estates was helping her understand what the Bible had to say about heaven and about how, the, about how in heaven she would no longer be paralyzed, but how she would have a glorified body. And she said, Steve, sensing my wonder, pointed to me in Revelations chapter 21, and as they began to read, disappointingly, Joni said, it was nothing like she was expecting. You see, my Christian brothers and sisters, Joni was expecting something that would stir her soul like the thunderous roar of a, you know, a Niagara Falls or like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you know, taking it all in and all of its incredible splendor. Instead, she said, she found the biblical word pictures of heaven flat and boring. <laughs> Can't imagine that, but that's basically that's, that's her, her words, not Michael Crawford's. But she said Steve didn't give up. Instead, he charged right ahead, and he said, Joni, since you seemed less than enthusiastic about the New Jerusalem, consider this. Consider that the walls are said to be the same height and width and length. The city is a perfect cube of 1,400-mile proportions. And then he said, now, Joni, what do you think that means? Not what does it say, but what does it mean? And she said, I don't know. Heaven's ugly? And they just kind of chuckled together and laughed it off. And, and then he said, Joni, if you stop with only the symbol, you're right. It's not very pretty. But remember, symbols like road signs point away from themselves into something else. She said, with that, they then turned in the Old Testament description of the Holy of Holies, the unique dwelling place of God, as it's stated in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20. And they read, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. And then Steve said, Joni, did you notice that the proportions of the holy of holies are identical to that of heaven? They are identical. Except that heaven is about a quarter of a million times larger. And Joni 
since the book of Revelations insists that no temple is found in heaven, it seems to me that the idea that the Bible is trying to communicate is that in heaven is all temple. It's all the Holy of Holies. And that means that just as God's dazzling brilliance filled the Holy of Holies, so God's dazzling brilliance will fill the Holy City, only even more with intensity. My Christian brothers and sisters, hear me now, turn the volume up. When you think of the Holy City, don't get stuck on the symbols, the size, the pearly gates, the streets of gold, but only those symbols to point you to the greater truth. That God's dazzling presence, his great love, and his great power will be everywhere in that place. It will be everywhere. And that means that only will we experience God on a level and with an intimacy, with an intimacy that we've never known before. But it also means that for the first time, we will experience true community with one another. And my dear Christian brothers and sisters, think about this. Think about this. As you get started off on your week, I want you to remember tuning in to the Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show and you and Michael Crawford ask you to think about this. What is a city? A city is a community of people. It's a community of people. And so the holy city is going to be a community of people where God's dazzling presence penetrates, fills, and flows out of everything and everyone. And in that place, we will experience a brotherhood, a fellowship, a love like none other. We're going to experience uninterrupted, unstained, untainted, pure, loving, trusting relationships. The kind of relationships we mostly only dream about here. But the kind of relationships that will endlessly flow out of being in God's dazzling brilliance and dazzling presence. I don't know how many times I've sat and tried to console people who have been deeply hurt by relationships in this world. And I know we all have. I don't know how many times I've seen a person open their heart up to another only to have it crushed and then walked over. You know, I'm 61 years old and I'm tired of dealing with hurt and pain and the brokenness that we cause one another. Honestly, for everyone out there that's tuned in today, please hear this. At 61 years of age, I am completely, utterly tired of dealing with the hurt and the pain and the brokenness and the disrespect that we cause one another. I'm tired of it. And I long for that day. I long for that day that God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My Christian brothers and sisters, if you feel like I do, sometimes, if you do, if you feel like I do sometimes, then the Bible has got good news for you. The Bible says that heaven is going to offer us a community, a community like none other we've ever seen or experienced or could ever dream of. No more bitterness, no more strife, no more disrespect, no more envy or jealousy or anger or guilt or shame or resentment. Instead, there will only be loving trust-filled, transparent, magnetic, deep, open, authentic relationships forever and ever and ever. Anybody listening? Anybody listening today interested in being a part of a community like that? I know I am. And one final word before moving on. I know. I know that we all only dream about having the experience of an uninterrupted and unstained, untamed, and pure, and loving, trusting, authentic relationship. I know we dream of it all the time, a relationship like that. 
But my dear Christian brothers and sisters, I long and pray for it every day and on this day. That people look at a community like that, a community of believers, maybe it's the community of their church that they belong to. And I think that they can see a little bit of heaven right here on earth. And that's what God is trying to get us. That is what he's trying to get us synced into. Because I know when I went to my church at Joy, for all of you that don't know it, I was a longtime member of Community Church of Joy. And I saw what turned me on about joining that church well over 20 years ago with Pastor Walt Calistead was honestly, I saw the love they had for one another. I saw it. Not only was there a holy city awaiting every, not only is there a holy city waiting for every believer in heaven where God's dazzling brilliance flows through everything and everyone, but in that holy city, there are homes. Hear me now. Don't miss this. Homes being prepared. Be, they're being, Christ Jesus is preparing everyone's home. I mean, think about that. It's so exciting. Homes being prepared for everyone of Christ's disciples. Everyone. So, with that, saying that, let's now turn to one of my favorite all-time scriptures. If you're wondering some of the best scriptures that I really cling to, well, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 is one of them. And anyone that knows me, like I see, I can just see the look on my uh, producer's face, my best friend, Tony Escobar. When I say that, because he knows that, he knows I love the book of John, my beloved. My beloved John. John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. In John 14, Christ Jesus has just eaten his last supper with his disciples, and now he's leaving them with some final words to claim their fears. In verses 1 to 3, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But I'm telling you because it's true that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So, that where I am, you may be also. I tell you, I get really shooken up when reading these words. I want you all to know. For everyone that's tuned in today, I want you to know if you hear my voice breaking a little bit because this is uh, this little teach and preach today is hitting right in the core of where I'm at. And I got to tell you, it's just... It's just so beautiful that Christ Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go and prepare a place and he's going to come again and take you myself, he says. Take you myself so that where I am, do you see what he's saying? Wherever he's at, we also will be. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, you will also be with him as he will be with us. You know, there, there are beautiful words in any culture. I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's honestly, I mean, I'm just telling you. I've been all around the world, and it doesn't matter what culture you are in at the present time. There are some beautiful words. But in Christ Jesus' day and in Christ Jesus' culture, everyone knows that he's painting a picture here. Everyone. I know you comprehend that for everyone that's tuned in. He's painting a picture, a very common picture, the picture of a future bridegroom and, and, and bride like a year before their wedding day and you see my brothers and sisters a, a year before their wedding day a future bridegroom and bride would come together for a covenant service a, a covenant service that would literally bind them together in every way as husband and wife except sexually and then following the service the future bridegroom would turn to his future bride and say Honey, there's just one thing left for me to do. I've got to go back to my father's house and prepare a place 
for you. And he would. He would go back to the father and mother's house, and which was like an a, a apartment complex, if you would, and where the father would own the central house. And as each son got married, they would build a room, a house, onto the father's house. And so the future bridegroom would go. And knowing the unique likes and dislikes of his bride, and he would, under the supervision of the father, he would construct a home to please her. And, and after the house was complete, okay, with her every need and want was considered, the father would give his approval. And then the bridegroom would go. As he went, often spontaneous, you know, uh, often spontaneous, you know, parades of people would gather around him shouting, you know, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And when he arrived, he would knock on the door and his bride would come out and then they would go around hand in hand, arm in arm to the ceremony. And then they would go continuous with back arm in arm and hand in hand to the father's house, you see. Not just by themselves. They've got to. Now, I hope everyone's tuned in. Turn that volume up because you're going to love this. So they'd go back to their home where they would become one flesh, one and the same. So my dear brothers and sisters, the point that Christ Jesus is making has nothing to do with the type of house you and I are going to get when we get there, when we get into heaven, I mean, you may have your heart set on an English Tudor or a Cape Cod or a ranch or a log cabin or the Italian villa. I don't know. But Christ Jesus' point has nothing to do with that type of house uh, that I just mentioned. I mean, you, you know, it has nothing to do with any kind of different style of house that you're going to get. But it has everything. Hear me now. Turn the volume up. But it has everything to do with the type of homes, the home you're going to be given. One of love, compassion, joy, and completeness. Did you hear that? That's what I want everybody that's tuned in today to really let that marinate in the faculties between your ears. Because the point that Christ Jesus is literally trying to make here is everything to do with the type of home you're going to get when it comes to love and passion and joy and completeness. I mean, do you know what the big difference is between a house and a home is? Do you really know that? Does anybody ever think about that? I know some of you do, but do do majority of you because you need to when you're thinking about heaven. The difference between a house and a home, when you move into a new area and, and you go house hunting, what do you do? You look through closets and you kick the plumbing and you kick out the furnace and the roof and the air conditioner and so on and so on. You're checking it all out. It's just a house. But hear me now. Let's now discuss occupancy. But when your family agrees on that house and you move in and you paint and you decorate and you put your pictures on the wall and you tuck the kids into bed every night and read them a bedtime story and you sit around opening presents on Christmas Day, it's not just a house anymore, brothers and sisters. It's not. It's not a house. It's a home. It's a home. And I know some of you... I know, I feel it. Some of you travel a lot and you're in hotels for days on end. And so, you know, you know. You know what it's like to finally pull up into your driveway and to finally be home. You know. You know what you know what you know. It's home. It's not a house, it's your home. How many times have you seen on internet or TV or photos or newspapers or magazines? How many times have you seen servicemen and women getting home from war? And as soon as they step off that plane or step off that boat or they fall down to the ground and kiss it, they do. They, for a brief moment, 
or exercising and thinking of heaven. They fall down on the ground and kiss it. Why? Because they're so glad to be home. Because home represents a place of security, refuge, and love. A place of permanent and belonging. And so Christ Jesus says, I want to know. I want to know that I'm preparing a place for each and one of every one of you who are my disciples. I want you to know. For everyone out there that knows that they're a disciple of Christ Jesus, please take to heart. And knowing that Christ Jesus really wants you to comprehend the fact that he has a place for each and every one of us. He's preparing a place for each of you. And it's not just a house. It's a home. It's a home. A home that's going to provide you with an eternal sense of security, refuge, and love. A home where you are going to belong because it's been custom built and designed specifically for you. Anybody listening interested in a home like that? For all of you that tuned in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show, have you? Have you? Have you thought about it? Are you interested in a home like that? Now, some of you have also heard that when we enter the holy city and we're taken to our new home and we're also going to be given white robes, and, and that's true. Throughout the book of Revelation, we find the saints those that followed Christ Jesus in this world are now in white robes in heaven. And of course, some of you are thinking, wow, white, my color, or those robes might make me look fat. <laughs> I had to put that in. I just had to say that today because my brothers and sisters, if those are your concerns, then you have nothing to be concerned about. Because hear me now, turn the volume up. Turn the volume up. Because once again, these white robes are symbols, signs, pointing to the greater truths. For example, a robe in that day wasn't just something you wore. No. It was a symbol of your belonging and of what your position. So, remember the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son finally comes home, one of the first things the father does is what? He gives his son a robe, but not just any robe. Hear me now. No. He gives him the robe of honor, his robe. Why? Because he wants everyone to know that this boy is his son, and that he belongs in this family, and he deserves great honor. The robe you and I will be given in heaven is a robe that makes us and puts a mark on us. It marks us as belonging to God's family. And it declares our position as an honored son or daughter of the high king of heaven. Now, why is the robe white? It's white because white is a symbol of purity. And it points to us to the fact that in heaven... You and I will experience the freedom and the joy of walking constantly with God and with others. And never, and of never sinning again, we will be pure before God. And because of that, we will have the blessing of an everlasting, clean conscience. And my Christian brothers and sisters, what a blessing that will be. What an incredible blessing that will be. And I don't know about you, but I get tired of going to God every day asking to be forgiven for the sins of my life. I get tired of confessing thoughts or actions or attitudes day after day after day. I get tired of that. And I know. And I know if you've got a desire to know God and to walk with him, walk with him intimately, then you get tired of that too. The Bible says there is a coming. There is coming a day, coming in heaven, where we will experience such a deep cleansing and purity in our lives. That we will be able to live without remorse, without regret, 
without lives stained by sin. Because every decision we make will be the right one. Every word we say will be appropriate. And every action we take will beautify and enhance God's kingdom. The Bible leads us to believe that we will experience life more fully, more completely, and more satisfyingly than ever, ever before. We will be learning and growing and exploring and discovering and progressing and, and serving in ways that are, that are only unimaginable to us in this world. Anybody listening and arrested in a robe like that? In a life like that? Is there anyone listening to Michael Crawford and thinking about, I want that robe. I want a life like that. Well, I have actually want you to know that I've saved the best for last right here on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show. I've saved the best for last. You see, my brothers and sisters, the Bible says that in heaven we shall behold him. In Revelations chapter 22 verse 4 says, they, the believers in heaven, We'll see his face. We will see his face. And my brothers and sisters, how many of you have longed, have longed to see the face of Christ Jesus in heaven? We will behold him. We will behold his face to face. We'll behold him. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. It just really, I tell you, I get so excited. I, I tingle from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. I really do. When I talk about is heaven real and what it's like there and what we can expect, going just by the truth, truth be told, what Christ Jesus has told us and what he's preparing for us. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I mean, it really, really is. And it just, I don't know, I just get so excited. I just get so excited knowing about how our future is laid out for us. I mean, really, if we gasp in awe at the wonders of this creation, what will it be like to behold the creator of those wonders? Did you hear that? That's all I can just focus on and concentrate on and think about as I'm doing this podcast. If we gasp at the in, in awe at the wonders of of the creation that we can see, look around, what will it be like to behold the creator of all these wonders that we see? And if we shudder at the shadows, what will it be like to encounter his substance face to face? Oh, praise the Lord. In heaven, hear me now, in heaven we will behold him, it says, the creator, the designer the Savior of the world, we will behold him for all eternity. Anybody listening interested in an experience like that? I know I am, and I'm excited. If you want to have that kind of experience, if you want to behold the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, the creator of the heavens and the earth in all of his glory, and if you want to experience the kind of community and the kind of home that you can only find in heaven. And if you want to be clothed with purity and experience life more fully and more completely and more satisfyingly than ever, ever before, then the gates of heaven stand open for you. The gates of heaven stand open for us. As a matter of fact, they're not only open. They're not only just open. But God has sent you a personal invitation through Christ Jesus. An invitation to behold him and to live with him forever in heaven. Now the question is, my dear brothers and sisters, what have you done with his invitation? What? What have you done with his invitation? What have you done with Christ Jesus? Because my dear Christian brothers and sisters, what you do with that invitation will be the most important decision you have ever made in your life.
because that decision will determine your eternal destiny. Buy a house, sell a house, get a spouse, have a family, buy a business, sell a business. It all pales in comparison to what you do with God's invitation to spend eternity with him. Christ Jesus said, what does it profit a man if in 60, 80, 100 years he gains the whole world but loses his soul for an eternity? What does it profit him? My Christian brothers and sisters, what you do with God's invitation to spend eternity with him is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If today you're ready to accept God's invitation and make heaven your eternal home, then the Bible says you can't work your way, you can't climb your way, you you can't buy your way, and you can't deal your way, and you definitely can't plead your way in. The Bible says the only way you can get to heaven is by faith. By faith. You must repent of your sins before our holy God. By faith, you must ask Christ Jesus for forgiveness and believe that when he died on the cross, he did it for you and for me and our sins. Paying a price we could not pay. We couldn't, we couldn't afford it. He paid the sin payment. And then by faith, invite him to be the, the Savior and the Lord of your life. Giving your life to follow him and your service to honor him from this day forward. From this day forward. And then as the Spirit of God comes into your life, you will not only gain the power to live life here to the fullest, but oh, praise the Lord, my dear brothers and sisters, but you will gain the assurance of being with him forever in heaven. Some of you need to take that step of faith right now. What are you going to do with this invitation? Amen. Get excited, world! And thank you so much for tuning in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Doff Show. God bless you, and always remember, it's a Christ-minded attitude, not aptitude, that determines altitude. Praise the Lord. God bless you. If you'd like to contact Michael Crawford directly for prayer or encouragement, contact him on his private number at 623-203-8259 or send him an email at getexcited.crawford at gmail.com. Be free. Be challenged. Be encouraged. Be inspired. And get excited with Michael Crawford. Your love.